Hey all, and welcome to Geek Freaks. I am Frank, and I'm joined by Kyle. Howdy. Kevin. Hey. And Jonathan. Hey, hey y'all. Got a full house today, it's excellent. Uh, we're going to start things off with a question, then we're going to go into some like the Eternals trailer, some Star Trek news, Crunchyroll's getting big, and other things. Uh, but first, let's get into that question. Elon Musk revealed uh, yesterday, as of this recording, uh, the robot that will end human, uh, humankind. So we need to prepare, be prepared to take them out. What is your favorite way to kill a robot? Let's go with you, Kevin. You start us off. So I may have joked about it on Discord last night. You should check out the Geek Freaks Discord, by the way. Um, nice. I think that if this probably is the best way, and it's to give the robots Frank's internet. As his video quality just cut <laughs> out right there when I said that, it's perfect. <laughs> Connect the robots to that internet service. I don't know what it is, but it's bad, and they will not last. <laughs> we are safe if that's the case. I promise you guys. <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially if we like have to only buy groceries at night, we're fine. If it's prime time and other people are watching Netflix, you guys could do whatever you want. The robots are gonna stutter. <laughs> I can hate this internet. <laughs> uh, I my favorite way to killing robots is always putting them in like a logic circle where it doesn't make sense and their heads blow up. Uh, Futurama's done. Everybody's done it, right? It's one of my favorite things. Um, plus, it adds riddles, fun riddles to the thing. Uh, so that's that's my favorite way. I know it's not exciting, but that's definitely it. Also, in iRobot, one of the coolest scenes I've ever seen. Um, there, the robots are invading the precinct, the police precinct, and the captain's sitting there with a shotgun. And he's like just shooting them off the glass. <laughs> oh, that was one of the coolest, dopest things I've ever seen. And these robots straight up look like iRobot robots. So it's likely that that's going to happen. What do you got, Jonathan? What, what's your ways of killing a robot? So um, to me, obviously, it varies based on what kind of robots you got. So if they are the ones like he's describing, a bullet to the head would be great if that, if that destroys them. Uh, we want to keep it, you know, the weapons that we already use against our fellow man. Let's use those on robots. But I think the most effective thing is a computer virus. If you can develop a virus that will, you know, infect their program and shut them down, that would spread as a virus does through all the robots, then, you know, have a cascade effect and take them all out at once. That's a good idea. Yeah. War the world's it. Yeah. Good one. All right. What are you thinking over there, Kyle? What's your master plan? Well, working in the bearing industry, I, I know the weaknesses of their components. And the biggest one is water. So if you get yeah. the water in there, it'll corrode all of their inner components and they can't move. And then that's yeah. when you do the skull cap and, you know, just finish them off. And like sand has got to be terrible for bearings and stuff like that. That so. too. It yeah. can also tell you uh, any kind of cow manure also affects them greatly. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm hearing is... There you go. <laughs> if, if the robots attack, we'll have to move to the beaches. That doesn't sound terrible, so maybe we should be on board with this. <laughs> sounds like a plan for, to me. As long as there's some good internet for a little bit, and then until we oh. want the bad internet. <laughs> the only internet we could have in the apocalypse is Frank's internet. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. It's not worth it. Just take me out now. <laughs> I love that Elon Musk made sure to clarify that we can outrun and overpower these robots. You should invent something that you need to have that, you know, clarification on there. That that's not a good sign. Yeah, like McDonald's coming out with a new burger saying, but don't worry, this one will only give you minor obesity or something yeah. along those lines. <laughs> Score minor obesity. <laughs> Thanks, McDonald's. What? All right, let's go ahead and get to some uh, news. We're gonna go over the quickies first. Uh, we had the Eternals trailer come out. This is the final Eternals trailer, and it really actually broke down the story, something the other ones did not do. Uh, what's your initial reaction to this trailer, Jonathan? 
it looks really good. It looks polished. Like I'm excited to watch it, but I don't recognize any of these characters. I don't think I've, right. I mean, I, I haven't followed all the Eternals comics or anything like that. So, um, that's a no good and has. bad. I mean, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know them yet, but I'm excited because it's something new that I don't know yet. And Marvel's kind of been doing some rinse and repeat lately. So uh, that'll be kind of cool. Eternals is a lot like when Guardians of the Galaxy came out. I was just gonna Nobody say Nobody really read those. But then all of a sudden, when the trailers start coming out, you got a bunch of these guys who are like, well, excuse me, let me push on my glasses. Um, <laughs> it's like this, you know, and I know those are our loyal fans and I appreciate it, guys. But yeah, <laughs> we know that you're an Eternals reader. We understand that. The rest of us are trying to catch up and figure out who the guys with the laser eyes are. Um, you know, and so what we'll do, I think, as a podcast, before it comes out, I think we'll do this with Shang-Chi too, but we'll do it on our Patreon first to test it out. We'll have an episode where we just break down who these people are and who each character is and stuff like that and kind of explain it. So we'll do the Shang-Chi one first again, and that'll be on our Patreon. September 3rd is when that comes out. Uh, Kyle, what's your initial reactions to this Eternal trailer? Yeah, like Jonathan, I don't have any sort of background knowing who these characters are, let alone any people in the Marvel Universe, really. And uh, Mm -hmm. I'm excited. It looks great. Uh, I like the epic scale of it. I think it's going to add more of that cosmic force, like, you know, the big threat to the whole Marvel Universe. So I think it looks great. It looks really like a good time. Yeah, for those of you guys who are unfamiliar with what the threat is, uh, humanity is kind of like slowly feeding the celestial that's growing inside of Earth. That's a real World of Warcraft actual thing, if you think about it. Oh, wow. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, humans living on Earth is kind of just a slow battery feeding this thing until it can hatch the egg, uh, which I've heard people call it that. Um, and then when we're all brought back during the events of Endgame, it's just this big charge to the battery and like the celestial is ready to be born. And so they have to crack the egg open, which is Earth. So uh, this, the Eternals, which were sent to make sure that humans don't die so that they can keep feeding the celestial, are now trying to stop the celestial from being hatched because they actually fell in love with humans. Uh, Kit Harrington's character is not related to the Eternals. He's his own hero and he's actually a real awesome badass. Uh, we've talked about him in the past. Um, but he's going to be kind of the audience member. If you're, look, if you're looking at like how plays are done, there's usually an audience member character that's supposed to react how we react. So get ready for Kid Harrington. He'll be the guy that you're going to be cosplaying as because that's just kind of how that works. Um, <laughs> he's going to be, we'll the, be the Shiloh LaBeouf in uh, Transformers situation. Ky- yeah, that's a good way to put it. That, that, uh, he's going to be that, yeah. He's going to be dating one of them, but he's like this guy, just a real quick rundown. Uh, he's a knight who's like, lineage is always the black knight, and he's the latest version of it. And so... He he has a long history, but he's kind of still fresh on it and stuff like that. But are we gonna tie really this cool. into Game of Thrones where he became immortal at the end of Game I mean, of Thrones? We have Rob we have Rob Stark out there too, so mm-hmm. it is straight up Game of Thrones. <laughs> like I'm excited. Actually, what's funny, I've noticed today that the YouTube algorithm, when you're watching the Eternals trailer, it is suggesting Game of Thrones content on the sidebar because that's two of the main characters that are there. Uh Kevin, any thoughts on this? Are you excited to watch Eternals? I'm actually, after watching that last trailer, I am very excited for it. I was going to mention the Guardians of the Galaxy thing because I didn't know anything about Guardians before that movie came out. And I loved both of those Guardians movies. And I'm really looking forward to this and Shang-Chi because I don't know anything about any of it. And yeah. just bring it on. Yeah, it's nice to have like something fresh. Yes. Right. So that'd be that'd be cool. Um, there's only so many times you can watch Hulk smash something and be like, oh, that's right. He's a guy that smashes things like that's not much to it. So that'd be cool. Uh, but yeah. Keep an eye out for our Patreon. We'll do the Shang-Chi one. And then we have, uh, we're realizing that like on TikTok and stuff like that, when we, I, I know this is going to sound like crazy news to you guys. When you do things that are trending, it does well numbers wise. 
So what? <laughs> I know, right? When people are watching Suicide Squad, they want to talk about Suicide Squad. It's nuts, but that's what we'll do. So we'll do a Shunk Tree Chi explainer for our Patreon, and we'll do tie-in stuff for TikTok, and then we'll do that for Venom and then Eternals. So expect all that coming up soon. Next up, uh, Sonic fans, uh, we have our Knuckles. It'll be Idris Elba, who basically can do anything he wants. I'd be fine with that. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Jonathan? Do you think Idris Elba is the right fit for Knuckles? Oh, yeah. I mean, he could play any role. He's just he's an awesome actor, and I love his, his voice and voice acting, so I'm excited. And I, I was just telling you guys the other day, I didn't see the Sonic movie when it came out. I just started watching it uh, day before yesterday, I think. And Unfortunately, my, my son needed to go to sleep, so I had to stop watching it but uh it was a lot better than i thought i wasn't i wasn't that excited to watch it in the first place because it just seemed kind of yeah. uh too comical or cheap or something like that but when i started watching it, i was like oh my god this is a good movie so i gotta finish that one and then i'm stoked to see the new one yeah do you guys think that they're gonna get into the like the deeps you know lore behind sonic or are we just gonna just like have knuckles thrown in what are you guys thoughts on that I want to answer that question, but I don't want to give away the end of the movie that John has just said he didn't see the end oh, of. <laughs> it's definitely true. going to be Sonic lore oriented, I think. Yeah. Um, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, in my opinion. And Id Idris Elba is like Earth's badass, and Knuckles is the Sonic the Hedgehog world badass. So I think it's a perfect fit. Just want to throw that out there. I, I like that. Yeah, badass meet badass. Uh, I don't know who the voice for Tails is. I know that there was a little bit, but I think they're probably going to recast that. Any ideas for who could play Tails? Tails, you got any ideas there, Kyle? Ryan Reynolds? I mean, I don't know. Uh, hey. I have... <laughs> it's not a bad choice. It really actually, After for me, that's, to take your head, a Pikachu, that's not bad. I guess. I mean, yeah. it's hard to say. <laughs> uh, he killed it as Pikachu, too. I, who, I never would have thought, like, yeah, Deadpool's going to be Pikachu. That's going to be great. No, he actually killed it. It was really good. Um, and now we're getting a live action Pokemon series. They you just pay him a lot and have him join. I'd be cool with that. Who's who's producing that? You know, the uh, I think it's Netflix. Netflix is producing it because they have this new contract with uh, Pokemon where they're gonna be doing a lot of their content, and uh, they've been having a lot of success with like Pokemon Journeys and stuff. So it'll be all through them. That's awesome. But, by the way, guys, it reminds me. Check out our YouTube channel. We have a new series uh, called Hit Pause where we talk about mental health and gaming. Our first one has been about Niantic and Pokemon Go. The next one is going to be something different, but, but there's been so many developments in that story, it's going to be a sequel to the first one. So it'll be more Niantic and Pokemon Go and how they're affecting those who are disabled and have mental health issues. So check us out. All right, uh, next up. Now, we have Star Wars experts here. Do you guys know about Sabrine Wren and Pokemon, or Pokemon, and Star Wars Rebels? Yeah, Sabine is a badass Mandalorian who was... Uh one of the main characters in rebels. Uh, I think that it is perfect to have her in a live action role the way they did with uh, uh, Bo-Katan and her crew mm -hmm. in the Mandalorian. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the Ahsoka show, by the way. Uh, I don't know who could potentially play her though. That's my hang up with this is I don't know who I would pick to play Sabine, but she is the supreme badass of rebels. I had that same problem when I was trying to think of some, a lot of the suggestions are um, I don't remember her name, but she's from Jane the Virgin main character there. Um, but really, yeah, it's hard to pick because she's like punk and Mandalorian mix. So it's a real fun mix. Um, that's a tough one, but I'm excited to see what they do on live action. It's it's Filoni coming back to do it, Dave Filoni. So it will be good. We know that much. That's a safe bet. Uh, 
Is there anybody else from Star Wars that you'd like to see join this live action series? Oh, I was going to say, honestly, Thrawn, but I think that's already a plan. Um, yeah. Any of the characters from Rebels, but I think most of them that are still around are also planned for the shows. So I'm not going to say anything else because I don't want to get my expectations up too high because I'm really looking forward to this. I'm jacked up for it. Thrawn will be there, though, because he was already teased. So mm-hmm. that much we know. That'll be really good. Um, yeah, it's any of the pirates, any of the pirates from Clone Wars, I'd be happy with. More pirates from Clone Wars is what I want. So that'd be dope. All right, we have two of the Trek freaks here, so this will be good, great. Uh, we had the Star Trek Vegas convention this last week, which we saw a lot of cool cosplay and stuff like that out of there. One of the cool little bits of news we got was Robert Beltran. Uh, he's the guy that played Chakotay from Star Trek Voyager. He revealed by accident that he's going to be joining Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, right away, that's great news. What do you guys think will be his role in the series? John, let's start with you. So I don't, I, I'm worried that it might just be, because he said he's doing voiceover work for it right now. He didn't necessarily yeah. say that he's going to be a full cast member in the series. So I'm worried it might just be some cameos, uh, because mm-hmm. as far as we understand, as far as I understand from the story, uh, is Janeway is going to be a hologram and traveling with right. this, this group of you know, misfits or whatever. Uh, so I don't know where he would fit into the story, except for references back to her memories that are programmed into her. Uh, but I'm hoping they find a way to tie him in. Also, he didn't necessarily say that he was playing Chakotay. He could be voice acting a new character. So I would like for him to stick around as Chakotay. If not, at least stick around as a different character uh, because he's an awesome actor. But uh, I'm hoping it. Yeah, I'm hoping he stays with the group somehow as Chakotay. You want to piss off Star Trek fans? Cast Robert as something that's not Chakotay. <laughs> <laughs> he's- after after Voyager, he became a full on stage actor. So he it's very rare that he'd be on camera at all. And here you're gonna get him, and he's gonna be like some random Klingon in the background. <laughs> He'll make some people so mad. Uh, but that would be I just as long as he's in there. Uh, I, I now I've heard. Okay, so there's a group, and Jonathan, you'll you'll understand this real well. There's a group called the No Monkey Group, essentially. Uh, and what it is is there's an episode of Star Trek Voyager where both Janeway and Chakotay are stuck on a planet because they're being quarantined from a disease. It's a real will-they-won't-they they episode. The whole time you're thinking like, oh yeah, it's going to happen. Well, there's this bathing-slash-massage scene that's interrupted by a monkey. And so there's a group that consider themselves the no-monkey group that says if that monkey didn't screw things up, we would have had a relationship between Chakotay and Janeway. And now they say this is the way that that'll happen. Do you guys think they should couple up Janeway and Chakotay? Yeah, no, I, I, I don't like it. There's very different characters that I think are too headstrong to work together. Uh, Chakotay is very proud of his heritage um, as a Native American descendant. And uh, Janeway is just too Starfleet by the book, more or less, I guess. Um, Yeah. I I don't think it would be a good thing unless they forced it, which would also not be good. So, no, I mean, I'd be good. He he straight up led the Maquis. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I... no, no, <laughs> not going to work. <laughs> Jonathan, what do you, you, you pro this couple or no? No, see, I think Janeway is married to her ship and Chakotay is yeah. married to his crew. Neither of them can be separated and, and joined together. They can have fun together and they can be great companions for each other, but they can't put each other above their other priorities. I think that's exactly what Mud said. You'll never get between a captain and his ship. They're in love. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't see this happening. Um, now, on a side thing, was Chakotay Native American? I thought he was an alien race. They brought it back. In, uh, they, they, 
it kind of sometimes they tiptoed around it, but in the end, it was he was Native American from Earth. Cool. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. I wasn't sure because there's like different things that are like, oh yeah. Okay. That's Native cool. American having high tech uh, vision technologies and stuff. Well, the way <laughs> that of... they blended the two together, it makes sense for how human for yeah. It's just interesting. Okay. You know yeah, how it is. is. There's as if the Native American culture continued to evolve with you know Western culture. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. They yeah. just they kept their 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 morals at at the root of them still. Which is awesome that they did that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I know there's times where he's like, yeah, we've gone on a spirit venture through Mars, and I'm like. Now wait a minute, Mars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, I'm no geography professor, but I'm pretty sure Mars is not on Earth. <laughs> so. All right. Speaking more of Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry, creator of the series, um, has a biopic in the works. This is being produced by Gene's son, Rod Roddenberry. Which I didn't realize his name was Rod. That's pretty fucked up to name him Rod. <laughs> Rod Roddenberry, um, and Trevor Roth, who's one of the producers for Discovery. It'll, it'll focus on. Gene's pre-Star Trek life and post-Star Trek life. So before he produced Star Trek, he was a LA police officer, and it'll probably be kind of like the Tolkien movie. We'll see his inspiration for this utopia that he wanted to create. And then the post story apparently will be a lot about how how uh, Star Trek really wasn't very successful during its run, but afterwards became a cult following, and how he reignited it with Next Gen. Um, so it'll be a pretty interesting series. Is there anything in particular that you'd want to see? from Gene Roddenberry's life and getting more light. What do you think, uh, Kevin? I honestly want to see a lot of... uh, I haven't seen enough interviews with Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek himself. I want to know a lot of his mindset behind behind Star Trek and the creation of it and his ideas behind it, because we analyze a lot of it on Trek Freaks, and I want to know if a lot of the stuff that I'm saying is actually his vision (laughs) or if it's just through a modern day lens. I also do want to say that Rod Roddenberry's real name is Eugene. He just goes by Rod. So they didn't name uh, him Rod. Okay. It wasn't, the, sorry to break that Appreciate for you. <laughs> no, I was just thinking like Gene had some pranks up his sleeve, man. He's just like, I'm gonna mess with my kid for the rest of his life. All right. That's good to hear. What are, what are your thoughts, Sheldon? Uh, yeah, I want to see, we talk about like the, the hope that Gene Roddenberry pre- presents for humanity of what we could look like in the future if we can get our act together pretty much. Uh, but I'd like to see like more of what his vision is. Like Kevin was saying, like, is that just kind of what flushed out in the creative process or is that what his intentional purpose was? And, you know, how did that kind of steer his production and changing over generations in a different series? Yeah. Yeah. Myself, I'd like to see, uh, how he, how he struggled to get inclusion included into the show. Cause I think that was something that, you know, the entire time he was always, and it's hard because, again, like that lens that we're looking back, we think of Gene Roddenberry as this like perfect creature that was sitting there trying to create a utopia for us and show us the way. But was there times where he was just like, you know, had a hard time including other things? And how did he try to get his message across while getting past like the NBC sponsor or uh, censorship? And that struggle would be very interesting to me, which I think is going to be actual during production. And they said they're not going to focus on that. So we'll have to see. Kyle, are you much of a Star Trek fan? I mean, I haven't really seen too much. I've maybe, you know, watched an episode of TNG with Kevin here and there over the years, but um, I have always been wanting to watch the show. I know how big it is and how culturally significant it is. So I do want to take time eventually to, you know, get caught up on this entire franchise, but yeah, it, it seems daunting for sure. <laughs> it definitely, yeah, it's like Doctor Who. I'd love to be in exactly. on the Doctor Who thing, but where do I go? Uh, all right. So we'll, we'll end off this Star Trek corner with uh 
from the Trek Freaks, where do you guys think Kyle should start off if he's wanting to get tip his toes into the franchise? What do you think, Kevin? We'll go with you first. I think um, there's probably a guide online. You can skip most of the original series, I think. And if you don't want to, you can just you can just listen to Trek Freaks and get caught up on the original series <laughs> as, it, as we're doing that. But um, uh, definitely later or mid to late TNG, skip around. Mm -hmm. And then DS9 and Voyager are both must watch. Really? Uh, hmm. Enterprise is good, but if you're not a big Trek fan, you don't need to watch it. And then Lower Decks is the same way. So, yeah, most of TNG and then uh, DS9 and Voyager, for sure. And Discovery? Yes, it's really good. I really like it as a Star Trek fan. I don't know if it would hit the same way with somebody that's not a big fan. Okay. Yeah. I think it was meant to bring in new fans, but I think, like, I think season two is perfect. I, I don't think you can mess up going with season two of, of, of Discovery. But one is hit and miss, and three is like you have to be a real Star Trek fan to enjoy that. Yeah, mm. um, it's a little tricky. What are your thoughts, Jalen? Where should he jump? Yeah, in? so I'm a huge Voyager fan. Obviously, I could watch watch it over and over again. Uh, but as uh, just a observer, starting different series at a time, like uh, Kevin was saying, TOS, you could probably skip most of it. It's a little slow to get going into, get to get hooked. And uh, same with Next Gen. To, to get hooked, to get started in it, it takes a little while. Mm. But the fastest that I've fallen in love with the series was uh, deep space nine so i think you just start in there you get a lot of quick character development some of them you should already know if you'd watch the previous series but uh yeah I'd, I'd start with deep space nine okay and then uh, i'll just throw this in real quick but one of the things that i really enjoy is they'll do these collections and i believe they're on paramount in playlists this way where uh you're like oh just the best of time travel oh the best of q episodes the best of and the time travel one specifically is one of my favorite collections. And it'll give you like an episode from the original series, an episode from this. It'll let you jump around. Um, and so that's a fun way to jump into because then you'll just get a little bit of everything. All right, let's get into some video games here for a sec. Uh, Grand Theft Auto is getting a uh, rumored remaster uh, of the original or of Grand Theft Auto 3, San Andreas and Vice City. These are all classic games. Kyle, are you a big Grand Theft Auto guy? Uh, yeah, actually, GTA 3. Nice. I played that really close to its original release and man that was a groundbreaking game at the time uh, i was you know not expecting anything when i first played it but you know you can't help but hear all the kids at school saying oh my god you gotta play gta 3 and so i was like okay i guess i'll check it out and wow that game was you know such a pioneer for today's uh environment of gaming like the open world game was heavily influenced due to gta 3 yeah uh was there a was there ever a part or a moment from one of those three original games that like sticks with you today i mean uh there's so many moments right like doing the all the crazy missions and all the wacky characters uh mm -hmm. for me the biggest one was learning how to fly in san andreas like yeah i remember how difficult it was to grasp as a concept because it was new at the time but i loved doing the uh, stunt plane training missions because you had to go through these rings and it was really difficult to learn how to do that and it pays off because there's so many different plane types in the game and so I always had a lot of fun flying jets into you know all sorts of places you know just having fun in the open world itself yeah yeah they, they really did do open world right for me my favorite memory from those three games is in GTA 3 when I discovered there's like a car dealership that has a really nice car inside the dealership itself where you can uh, drive the car through the, the glass and just have it. 
Um, that was, and then you take it to the shop and you know, it's yours. That was the first time I think where I realized like, oh wait, if I explore, I can find cool new things. This game's not on the rails. It's not necessarily go from point A to point B. It's just like have fun. And I was, I was hooked after that. I love GTA games. So I'm excited to experience something like that again. That was a Shelby, right? The car you could I, steal? I, something like that. It looked like that. I don't know if that's exactly what it was that's called. Of course, everything's a different name. The car was Shelly. It was called the Banshee. <laughs> oh, look at that. Oh, man. <laughs> nice. I only knew that off the top of my head because that was going to be my response to that. Is That was my most memorable moment from GTA 3 was uh, every time I load up the game, I'd go straight from my apartment all the way across the map to get that Banshee, drive through the window, and then I'd start yeah. playing every time yeah that's how you play that game is you get the banshee and then you play the game <laughs> yeah it's so cool too i love it <laughs> um yeah so it's gonna be it's it's still rumored but it sounds like it's it's definitely a go it makes sense because of how popular gta 5 is they're like hey let's just rehash some stuff might as well um and so this probably means that gta 6 is being <laughs> developed slower than we expected not surprised there uh but you know rockstar does a good job with these games we'll have to see what happens all right, uh, next let's go to Call of Duty Vanguard was announced on, no it's coming out November 5th. This is uh, going to be a sequel to the World War II game that came out in 2017. Uh, I'm excited to see Call of Duty return to World War II again. Uh, my favorite Call of Duties are there. Uh, Jonathan, do you remember playing those old Call of Duties back in the World oh, War II days? I, I remember crawling on the grass with a Card 98K, just sniping yeah. with the, it was, yeah, that was the best. Was it, was it uh, uh, Call of Duty 2, I think, was the one we, yeah. we played a lot. Oh man, we know life for that game. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, and the M, and the, what was it? The M1 Grand, which was the fast yeah. action one that was like just go quick. Uh, yeah. So I need to play this one again. It's gonna be. It's actually following the models of those earlier games too, because it's not one protagonist or one group that you're sticking with. It's three different protagonists uh, from the different allied factions or countries, and they'll have intertwining stories. But you're gonna be going around. Um, there's particularly one character I'm really excited for. She's a Russian uh, sniper. There was, I don't remember her name, but there was a famous Russian sniper back in World War II that came to the U.S. to convince America to, like, fight in the war. So I'm hoping that it's something related to that. That'd be really cool. Uh, is this the kind of game that you guys would come back to Call of Duty for? I know a lot of us kind of cool our heels on Call of Duty. But are you excited to come back for this game? I, I, I don't know. I didn't go... I figured that the last time that uh, Call of Duty went to World War II again, that if there was a game for me to jump back into call of duty with it would have been that one because i had a lot of good memories from the first two call of duty games but i it didn't happen for me and i i doubt that it'll bring me back but i'm glad to see that they're still going with that that world war ii things if there is a chance of me going back it would be because of that yeah what about you Kyle? i mean personally my interest in the call of duty franchise kind of fell off after modern warfare 3 i haven't really played any of the games in the franchise since then I've always enjoyed the campaigns, though, and, you know, it's been on my to-do list to go through each campaign since then. And, you know, definitely with the World War-style games, I've always had a great time with campaigns, like with the Medal of Honor series, for example. I really enjoyed those. And, yeah, it's something I gotta get around to, eventually. I, again, I, I like those Call of Duty campaigns more than I like the multiplayer, but that's not what makes the money, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. You know, Warzone's what brings in the cash. And I was worried that this Vanguard was just going to be a Warzone. Um, patch, uh, but there will actually be a Warzone patch for for Vanguard. Um, but they're still releasing the game separately, so you're in luck there. Um, and if you guys want to, you know, fund Activision, this is the way to do it. So I'll see you guys <laughs> over there. <laughs> All 
Next, let's talk about Funimation acquiring Crunchyroll. Uh, this makes Funimation the biggest anime-only streaming service in the U.S. Uh, I need to get into some anime. I was just talking about Kyle, some sloop ideas that will be coming probably in November. Uh, Kyle, if you're new to anime, where can we jump in? Oh my goodness, that's a really broad question. <laughs> There's a lot of genres you can dip your toes into if you're just starting out. Um, mm -hmm. I guess the tried and true one would be a shonen anime, which is aimed at, you know, younger generation of men. Like, uh, mm -hmm. that's what the name shonen stands for, is young boy. So, you know, you get your Dragon Ball Z in there, One Piece, uh, Naruto, Bleach... You know, uh, My Hero Academia is the most popular shonen right now, so you can't go wrong with that one. Fantastic show. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's a wide variety. There's like so many different types of anime. You can really just go to a random queue and find anything, and it'll be something new every time. Do you use Funimation or Crunchyroll for your anime watching? Uh, me personally, I hate Funimation's app. It's terrible. The oh, really? way to find shows is really obnoxious on there. And the subtitles, I don't like their style. Crunchyroll is way better. Like They have a much better video player, too. And their subtitle style is just really nice to read. Uh, me, myself, I prefer subs over dubs. But Funimation, you know, they have more dubbed anime. So if that's, yeah. that's probably a better way to get into it, actually, is to start with the dub. Like for you, Frank. And yeah. later on, once you get more seasoned, like I am, like I just prefer sub overall. Okay. Yeah. Uh, hopefully with the acquisition, they'll start using their player at least or something like that. You know, they, now they have full access to all their animation or all their technology. Um, I, I will have to jump back in. I think so. Like we were talking about in November, uh, the sloops will be, we're going to do a sloop each week of, um, what's his name again? Mono, what's, Hi, I keep thinking Princess Mono. <laughs> Thank you. I'm gonna do one of his movies each week and go through the big ones, you know, very exciting. Okay, and how's the moving castle? So like Frank's so never watched it before, so it's definitely yeah. something to listen to because it's yeah. got me excited. You know, having someone else view them for the first time and see their reaction again kind of brings I'm back those feelings for, for me. Yeah, I, specifically Princess Mononoke. I've always heard like a tidbit of the story and just oh man, it sounds fascinating. So I'm excited for that. All right, uh, next we have Saints Row is getting a reboot. This is the very first reveal from GamesCon 2021, which is happening next week or this week, as you guys are hearing this. We will have articles coming out for GamesCon, so keep an eye out for our website, geekfreakspodcast.com. Uh, this reboot is going to take the series back to its origins, the first two games. Uh, have you guys kept up on Saints Row? You know, if you're a Grand Theft Auto fan, it's kind of like Grand Theft Auto off the rails. Any of you guys keep up on it? Yeah, I've... I've played most of the uh, the Saints Row games. So the first Saints Row game kind of seemed like a knockoff of Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. The second one is where it started finding its footing. And then, like you're saying, after there, it went way off the rails. I love Saints Row. The third is what they called it. But I call it Saints Row yeah. three because I'm a normal human being. Um, Saints Row three was great. Um, I think that was the one that Kyle actually watched me play most of, too, was Saints Row three. Uh, he actually enjoyed watching me play it, I think. And he could probably speak to that to some degree but saints row 4 was that was just way too much to, for me and then got out of hell i didn't even try that i think that was yeah. a standalone expansion for saints row 4 i'm excited for it to go back to its roots for sure if i may i think the best thing about saints row is it took the arcadey aspect of grand theft auto and it developed on that whereas yeah. gta went more the realistic route and i think that's the key difference between the two franchises and you know, Kevin, with your gameplay style, 
being impulsive and everything. <laughs> it was a natural fit for you. Yeah. <laughs> it works so well, too, because like Grand Theft Auto is a satire of normal life, right? So it's everything, the violence and like that turned up to 11. Well, then, Grand Theft Auto, or then Saints Row is like, okay, but we'll be a satire of Grand Theft Auto then. And so it's like that knob broken right the hell off. And yeah, you're right. It does get out of control real fast. Like the first two games is about a gang slowly taking over a city and you becoming like the top of the gang, which is really cool. And then the third kind of mastered it, right, with the whole new area. Um, but then, yeah, the fourth, like you're, you're first off, you're the president. So there's that. <laughs> and then aliens attack. And so you got to fight off the aliens and then you're fighting in an alien assimilation. And then, yeah, there's Get Out of Hell, which is the side expansion where you're in hell and you're fighting your way through hell and stuff like that. So it's like Grand Theft Auto without rules. Um, so it, going back to the origin, I think, is really good for the franchise and getting new people back into it. One requirement, Keith Davis has to, David has to come back and, and voice in the game again. <laughs> he was the best an, part of Saints Row 4, for sure. He was himself. He played himself yeah. in Saints Row 4. <laughs> <laughs> he always plays like the Saints' leader. And then in the fourth one, he's just like, I'm just here now. I'm actually the, <laughs> the guy himself. <laughs> and hearing Goliath like talk shit in the background is amazing. <laughs> so with that back. Do you know who's making this uh, potential reboot? We don't know yet. Uh, it was. Jeff, uh, what was his name? Uh, Jeff Keeley, the guy that does like the Game Awards and and uh, Gamescom, that just put out that little teaser that's just saying oh. rebooting. So we'll know more at Gamescom. We'll actually get a full breakdown of that, and of course we'll talk about it on the podcast and of course our website as well. Cool. Can't wait to read the Geek Freaks article. There you go. <laughs> All right. Next up, uh, this is pretty pretty interesting. It happened a, a week ago, whatever. So we'll talk about it now. U.S. politicians have been um, eyeing this loot box problem that we've been dealing with. Uh, three congressmen from both sides of the aisle uh, have composed a letter sent to 12 companies asking them to extend the new UK regulations to the U.S. children. Now, what's what's interesting about this, the UK's regulation is called Age Appropriate Design Code, AADC. And what this does is it prevents uh, people from using children's data, essentially, right? So it actually has nothing to do with loot boxes. If you break it down, it doesn't mention loot boxes or anything like that. But the politicians want to use that as an example and extend it in the U.S. to prevent people from exploiting children for monetary gains. Loot boxes is what they're talking about. Do you guys believe, and, and we'll start with you, Jonathan, do you believe that the U.S. government should be interfering in the loot box uh, business model? I, assuming that everything that, that we're getting from them is transparent and accurate, because, you know, usually there's nothing being done without profit for both sides. But... If that's the truth, that they are just trying to not exploit children, then that makes sense to me. And I totally support it because I could, I'm sure there's algorithms and all this that, you know, just like when you're shopping on Amazon, you get ads for things that you've bought before. When these kids are playing a game and getting a loot box, you know, you open a loot box that has a skin that you really like. You right away equip the skin, you play five more rounds with the skin, and then you get back on, you know, the next morning versus you get a gun that you don't like and then you stop playing for a week. That kind of data you know, it's might not seem very relevant, but with enough of it, you know, it helps them market to the children to get them playing more or maybe buying skins and stuff that they want with actual money. So we as adults, you know, we're responsible for our own decision making and we think that we can make, you know, the right decision. But kids are more susceptible to manipulation. They don't understand that somebody's trying to use this information against them, like going to a casino and seeing all the bright lights. You want to gamble more. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's good to try to keep that that level of manipulation away from the kids as long as you can. 
eventually, I mean, it's on everything. Advertising is, is just manipulation, but uh, to try to minimize it and not use their own choices and data against them, I think would be a pretty good thing to do. So what the U.S. politicians are trying to pitch is that you can't exploit kids, sell to them, essentially. Um, this random box, it's the whole tying into gambling and stuff like that. So, Kevin, do you think that loot boxes are close enough to gambling that it should be restricted, like all of the gambling in the U.S.? I don't think that uh, loot boxes are close enough to gambling. I think that loot boxes are gambling, 100%. Um, and gambling is regulated, not just for kids, but for everybody. Um, I don't know how much the politicians have, like how much skin they have in the game, like kind of John was saying. Um, I don't know what brought this to their attention. Um, other than the over monetization from every single company that's ever existed in video games. Um, that aside, <laughs> I've got a lot to say on the matter, so I'm going to try to keep this brief. Um, yeah, it should definitely be definitely be regulated. I don't know how the government here in the United States is going to do it versus how other countries governments do it. Um, I do know that some countries also have like loot box percentage chance per item listed. Like they have to do that on every game in specific countries. I think that would be huge here to stop a lot of the exploitative uh ways monetization routes that companies take in video games here in america what is the game that you've bought in loot boxes for in the past or the oh most god loot boxes for in the past? <laughs> i'm ashamed to admit it but uh hearthstone and overwatch yeah. i've done a fair amount of those <laughs> yeah i'm not happy to admit that but it's a guilty pleasure of mine you know a uh, loot box but you know when you buy them it is gambling like I think yeah. bar none, it's there's no question about it. You get that huge dopamine hit when you get that legendary card or you get that legendary skin in Overwatch. And, you know, granted, the lines between the two are now starting to blur a little bit between the video game industry and the gambling industry. And I fully support this uh, legislation, if there will be any, for protecting kids against this because it is predatory and it's going to keep going yeah. unless something happens. Now I got a question. What do you what do you guys think is the difference between buying a loot box and buying a booster pack of Pokemon cards that might have a rare card in it? It's the same. Yeah, same difference. The same except mm -hmm. it takes a lot less to make the the loot box is the problem. It's just code that's being randomized. So it's it's even probably closer to you not receiving anything of use. Than also, cards because cards, cards can be bookmarks. They can also have resale value. The physical cards yeah. themselves, like with Magic the Gathering or Pokemon. You can make that argument with skins and stuff for like Overwatch and Counter Strike and stuff too. Maybe kind down the road we'll see that, but I don't. That's way far off, in my opinion. Yeah, there are, there are games like Blocks, and then some of the Steam games like uh, Dota that do have a way of reselling skins, but it's it's very narrow right now. Hopefully, if that becomes a thing, it's going to be much more valuable. Um, yeah, it's it's tricky. Uh, I think that like for me, League of Legends is not necessarily a loot box, but I definitely spent the most money on that game on skins. Um, and then just straight up loot box wise, it would have to be Overwatch number one. Uh, have you guys ever fell fell prey to the loot box system, Kevin or Jonathan? I haven't. I haven't. I haven't bought any loot boxes. I've, Good for you guys. You know, quiet. I'm playing <laughs> <laughs> playing uh, Overwatch and stuff. But I, I think maybe that's something that that they could fight for too to make it. Uh, not such a money grab or whatever manipulation is make it to where you can win them you can earn them by playing and you know that'll help sell the game but not 
buy loot boxes with cash. You can buy them with in-game coin. You can buy individual specific skins with in-game coin, but you can't buy in-game coin. I think it'd be, you know, you have to earn it by playing. Yeah, the problem is that changes that changes the business model all the way. And they they'd rather, you know, you know how it is. They want that buck, that $2. It's all the freemium stuff used in video games now. Um it will be interesting to see like this this for example, this particular letter that went out will go nowhere. It's just three congressmen uh that have, you know, whatever. One senator and two congressmen, it's not going to go anywhere. But it does show that it's something that's being discussed on the hill. So it might be something that we see five, ten years down the road. We might actually see some hard laws being put into place. We'll have to pay attention because the moment that we start seeing politicians mention it in speeches, that means it's going to be coming up. And I think with these guys bringing this up, it's the first step into that. Uh, and, and we'll see. We might actually have, I mean, we could have a president running on the no loot box ticket. Like, we don't know. That could be a thing in the future. Yeah. All right. Uh, we talked a lot about Overwatch. Let's talk about more Blizzard stuff. We have three more people fired from the company after uh, sexual harassment stuff going on. Luis Bariga, Jesse McCree, and Jonathan LaCroft uh, have all left Activision. Bariga is a, be- is a vet to Blizzard and he- was currently working on Diablo 4. I believe he was one of the head designers. Um, McCree and LaCroft uh, were both pictured in the infamous BlizzCon Cosby Suite uh, picture. We've discussed that, that whole Cosby Suite thing on Discord. Um, come on over to Discord if you want to talk about it more. It's upsetting, and I don't think we should talk about it here. It's real sad. Um, McCree's departure in particular really sparked a lot of outrage. Uh, he is so McCree, the the gunslinger from Overwatch, is named after him. So a lot of the players are now wanting that character's name changed because of that. Jonathan, we'll start with you. Do you feel like we've they've already they've been doing it in World of Warcraft? They've been changing characters' names that were named after people who have been fired. Do you think they should change somebody as important to the game as McCree because of this guy being fired? Yeah, I mean, as long as it's not just allegations and they're actually finding some evidence that that this guy did something wrong, then definitely you shouldn't be honoring the you know the name of somebody who's not not deserving of honor. Uh, I wouldn't just change the name of the character though. I would you know play in your lore a little bit that he went through a transformation or something like that, and now he's reborn as somebody else and has just yeah. some changes to him a new weapon or something like that would be cool but you know make a make a visible change and people will kind of recognize that you're you're making an active step in re- resolving these issues and stuff yeah i i agree 100 percent with what john just said definitely uh change the character's name but they, they can have some fun with it and make it so it's not just a oh cancel culture we're taking this character's name and uh, erasing right. it and it's like you know kind of work it into the lore work into the story have some fun with it and make it make sense to everybody while still doing the right thing by mm-hmm. changing the name to begin with i i am an overwatch fan so there might be a low level of bias for me but i feel like you don't need to change the name i believe that mccree the character has so many merits on his own that he it's just his name and yeah originally he was named after a guy but I think McCree, the character, he shows honor, he stands up for his friends, and he actually is like a hero on his own right. And, I mean, fuck it, change the other guy's name. Don't change McCree's name. <laughs> you know, I just think that, like, he's risen beyond being just a reference to somebody who works at Blizzard. So it's really hard for me to say, oh, change his name, because he's still that reference. When it's like, yeah, but McCree is like a character that, that has, you know inspired others and it's a shame to have to like still continue to tie him to the guy he was named after when i feel like he should be separated from the guy completely and maybe a change of name is how you do that separation it's tough to say 
Harold, what is your thoughts on this? Well, McCree, you know, the designer, it says a lot that he had a character named after him. I mean, that kind of seems to me like it's an egotistical kind of thing, which explains why he's now no longer with the company. Right. Um, any name would honestly be better. Like, if you ask me, I'd probably say Ryan Reynolds. Change it to that. You know, anyone hey, who's... <laughs> You know, anybody's name would be better than McCree's name, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, they'll probably take some time to figure that out. But over time, anything would be better. Because the name itself, it's just tarnished at this point. People are always going to think on it like, oh, this represents this asshole guy who's no longer with the company. And I understand he has a legacy there. But I think, like with Alex Afrasiabi, with his character name in World of Warcraft now being removed, they should just do the same thing here, have a clean slate, move on. That's the best thing for all of the community. Yeah, especially that dude. That dude is the worst when you hear mm-hmm. about the stories from him. That guy, I mean, he's the one that paid for the suite <laughs> we were talking about earlier. What a jerk. Shameful. Um, mm-hmm. It really is shameful. And yeah, I'm glad that he's been scrubbed from World of Warcraft. And so, yeah, I mean, really, it should be, I guess, a fair treatment uh, for McCree as well. But it it is tough. And I know there's fans that are even more on the other side of this thing too, that are just like, why would you change McCree's name? That's crazy. It's not the same guy. Um, if you guys, uh, we could talk about this on social media as well, but let's all be respectful to each other. Cause I know this is one of those things that creates heated conversations. So in discord and on social media, we're all fans of video games. So let's just be friends and, and chit chat about it. Like nice people. Keep that in mind. You, c- you right. could, if you want to, sorry, real quick, if you want to keep his name, what it is, but change who it's tied to. I was just looking up McCree's from history. There's not a lot of them that, that I could find a value. Maybe there's some that if you do some more digging. Uh, but Marlon McCree was an American football player. So give him a new football skin and then say, oh, he's actually based off of this guy. Yeah. That seems there like a go. cop out, but I guess it's yeah. better than nothing. <laughs> I get to creep my McCree skin. I'm happy. <laughs> name. Uh, that's a good one. Um, I, I do like that idea of actually naming characters off of historical figures because, well, no, who knows? History can be unfair, too. Who knows what would happen? <laughs> uh, all right, let's go ahead and go into a Steam had a bug that uh, actually left them open to just massive theft, but amazingly was caught before a caught by a good hacker, quote unquote, uh, and saved their ass. So, security reacher Doctor Bricks—that's what he calls himself, which is a great name—discovered uh, the bug and reported to Hacker One, which I learned that Hacker One is a website that uh, hackers can basically like report to a, a company saying, "Hey, I found this thing that makes you guys vulnerable." Here's how, you know, and, and if they want to, they can pay them for that advice. So it's a pretty cool little hub I just discovered. Um, after a few days, the bug was fixed, and Dr. Bricks was awarded $7,500 in bug bounty. Uh, so let me explain what the bug is real quick. What you would do is you'd make a Steam account with the name Amounts100 in the email. Then as you purchase Steam currency for as little as $1, you intercept the uh, transaction before it goes to what's called smart to pay which is a European service that would do the amounts. And you just use the copy-paste from your email, amount 100, and put it into the actual thing. And all of a sudden, boom, you're getting 100 bucks for your $1. And they would just let the process continue and they would just keep getting this 100 for every $1 they spent. Um, I like the idea of this like good hacker defending, you know, actually doing good. How can we as a people encourage good hacking do you can you think of a way of that working out for us what do you think kevin i mean doesn't the cia already hire people 
a lot or the the nsa don't they already like hire people that have a hacking background or history with um stuff like that i suppose yeah um more of that yeah i know that the cia definitely does like go uh I, I, this is a brooklyn 99 as well actually i don't think about it they do actually like pick up these hackers and be like hey why don't you fight for us you know and a good thing um <laughs> <laughs> i'm just thinking that I would. I wish that society would treat hackers. I keep using the word hackers, and I know that's so like '90s of me that everybody knows how to touch a computer as a hacker. Um, but I wish that there was a way to like, hey, let's kind of glorify them a little bit because every time you hear about somebody who's too good at computers, you're like, oh, this guy's gonna steal my identity. And it, that's not the case. Not everybody's jerks, you know. And so, I think it would be nice if like mo if mass media would actually use like good hackers in movies as the hero. You know, like let's have let's have uh, you know. Ian McKellen or somebody like that play the new one, and I, he definitely would not be a hacker, but somebody cool <laughs> can be a hacker. Oh my God, now well, I'm thinking about that. Frank, you bring up movies, you know, I think that's a good incentive right there. Hey, come to our side and we'll make a, you know, a biopic about you yes. three decades from now that I'll tell everybody how awesome you are. That's a good incentive yeah. right there. <laughs> it's it's crazy how big uh ransomware attacks are in uh, like not just america but worldwide right now they're a huge issue and i think starting companies with people like this that are that have a history of it that know what ex exploits to look for or how to kind of take advantage of certain situations with regards to hacking hacking um could be on the other side of it and do it as a job. I think that's a really good incentive to be able to have a career in something that's legitimate, not with the fear of, you know, prosecution. <laughs> that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big downside to that kind of stuff. So, yeah, having it as a career would be a good upside for it. Yeah. A stable it's paycheck in instead of just being like, you know, whatever you can hack off of somebody. It's hard yeah. to incentivize it with money, though, because a hacker like here, he got 7,500 bucks for finding this bug. It could have been a $100,000 bill if, if, you know, somebody else had gone in there and actually used it against them. Yeah, know, but when they found out, they they get punished for it too. So all that money yeah. goes away plus pro probable prison time. So yeah, and bigger companies, I mean, it could be millions of dollars that they lose through a hack loop they don't see. So it's hard to to incentivize hackers to do the right thing just with money. But I think, like you guys are saying, if you make a documentary about them or or give them a role within the company so they could use their abilities not just for the the money they'll get for their job, but they'll have, you know, an ongoing reputation with the company or something like that that'll help. Yeah. The uh, next the next guy that does something like that, we should rename McCree to that person's name. Ooh, there you go. <laughs> a, a spot go. in history. I'd be cool playing Dr. Bricks. I'm a cool, cool <laughs> yeah. And I want to make sure that we use the term hack loop, which Jonathan just invented more often because I think hack loop is a great term. <laughs> this guy got through my hack loop. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. yeah so i just thought you know we'll, we'll keep an eye out for more of these stories i like these ones where there's somebody out there doing good um using the tools that normally are used for evil <laughs> you know all right next we're gonna be talking about some pokemon updates for you pokemon fans out there blissey is the new pokemon coming to pokemon unite she's a healer who will be throwing eggs uh to both heal her friends and damage enemies uh we don't know yet if blissey is going to be starting as blissey the entire time or she's going to be evolving some pokemon evolve mid uh games from Happiny, then uh, Chansey, then to Blissey. Uh, everybody was expecting this to be Blastoise because Blastoise was, is actually one of the bots you play against in the uh, tutorial and was used in a lot of the footage, but he is still not released. So we'll see. At least we have another healer on the way. So those of you guys playing Pokemon Unite, somebody new to Master. 
Uh, we also got from a Pokemon Presents, uh, Pokemon Pearl and Diamond remakes. Uh, some new footage from that. They're going to be all new graphics and music. Uh, from the trailer, we saw a lot of familiar places. So they basically remastered the original games. Even the the like gyms and everything like that are all being remastered. Uh, we're going to be taking on Team Galaxy again to save time and space. So if you guys are Pearl and Diamond fans, you guys get your hands on this November 19th. Uh, and then the last thing that was revealed was Pokemon Legends Arceus. We've got a lot more footage from that. Uh, we know the story as well. So this is going to be taking place in the past. It'll be in the Sinnoh region where Pearl and Diamond take place. Uh, it will be an open world game. You are one of the earliest trainers. You're going to be filling up the very first Pokedex and you're working for a surveying core. Uh, the way this will work, it's going to be similar to a Monster Hunter game in that there is a central city. This one's called Jubilife Village. And you'll be going on missions from there. And also, it kind of, to me, feels like the map might be smaller than originally anticipated. And I think for a first open world Pokemon game, that kind of makes sense. Uh, you guys can get your hands on this one January 28, 2022. So really, neither of these games are too far out, uh, which is normal for Nintendo. Nintendo doesn't like to announce games that are too far out usually. Uh, I currently, I keep up on all the Pokemon games. I enjoy them and stuff like that. And I know Kyle's kind of fallen off the map. Uh, Kyle, what would it take for Pokemon to bring you back? Actually, we uh, discussed this a little bit in our Pushing Buttons MMO episode. And mm -hmm. I think a Pokemon MMO would be so incredible if they took everything about Pokemon that is so great, like the colors, the vibrancy, like even like the character designs, and allowed you to make a character like that. And then you go out and catch Pokemon with friends. I think that'd be so freaking cool. <laughs> Have you played Temtem? No. That's essentially that. Yeah. yeah but it's early Temtem access. Okay. Hmm. <clears throat> it's very hard. Temtem is like very hard. I can't beat the first gym guy. So oh. I, I, I swear, playing. Nintendo is missing a huge opportunity by not doing this. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that leans on the fact that Nintendo doesn't want to leave the Switch. If Nintendo were to yep. make PC games, they would have such an easier time making a robust uh, Pokemon game. But like we saw with the uh, Breath of the Wild and now the new sequel to Breath of the Wild, the game is so limited that people actually like force bugs upon the system just because the system can't handle much. So if you like, oh, if you do three bombs, you could glitch yourself across the map and people are now actually speed run doing all those glitches. Uh, so if they were to open themselves up and just jump on, it's hard because then they're competing directly with Microsoft and they don't really want to do that. But if they were to open themselves up to PC, they could really expand those games out and make them something special. Uh, but yeah, Jonathan, what's a way that they can get you back into Pokemon games? Just like you're saying that I don't want to get a Switch. I don't it just not. I mean, I'm going to get the Steam Deck when that comes out, but that's totally different. Oh, that's yeah. PC games. Uh, so if they were on the PC, I'd try them out. A Pokemon game that I think would be cool is where you aren't a, a, a trainer, but you choose a Pokemon to start as and you're working on evolving like on your own. You live off in the wild and stuff and you have to, you know, grow and you try to avoid getting captured by a trainer. Uh, I think that'd be kind of cool, like a different perspective. That'd be like a horror game, I think. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I'm getting like Rambo first blood vibes. You need to train on your own and fight. And then, I don't know, you, you try to evolve yourself without, without a trainer or something. It'd be cool. What I like about an RPG open world game where you're the Pokemon would be playing as Eevee because she has so many different kinds of evolutions. So, like, how you play would determine what evolution you become. Like, oh, I'm impulsive, so I'm fire type now. So, I don't know. That'd be, there's something there. That'd be interesting. Kevin, you coming back to Pokemon? 
No, I was never really into Pokemon to begin with. I've played okay. a few of the games, but I do have to say that I love that we're able to say the sentence, Blissey is a healer and will protect friends and damage enemies by throwing eggs. I love that that's a statement that you can just make and keep a straight face and it makes perfect sense to people. It I, does, yeah. <laughs> I, is that going to be a great Halloween costume? Kids are just going to go around throwing <laughs> eggs because, hey, I'm Blissey. This is what I do. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit, John. We are a couple months away. I have plenty of time to make a Blissey costume, which is just a pink ball, essentially. Just like Jigglypuff with some frills. Yeah. <laughs> that's the world of Pokemon, guys. You just throw eggs and you heal people with them. That's, that's how things work out there. That's just how I live my life anyway. <laughs> All right, we're going to be talking about John's new favorite game, Splitgate. He's been yeah. playing it a lot over the last couple of days. Uh, we just found out from the CEO, Ian Prolix, he's got a fun name, uh, that they're going to be extending the beta indefinitely. The reason they're doing this is because uh, the game exploded on them. It got crazy important, uh, crazy big, and they actually had to like take out a loan for $10 million to expand the servers. So awesome. it went from 70,000 allowed at once to 170,000 allowed at once now. Um, they also added 2v2 ranked plays because that was requested by the fans. And a lot of the bugs that have been requested, they, they went ahead and implemented those as well. Uh, so they made this decision because they're going to be continuously adding changes to the game and they don't want to necessarily release it early. And then all of a sudden these have to be DLCs or something like that. So, uh, they also said that they have a big announcement coming this week at Gamescom. We'll go ahead and, you know, form you on that. Of course, keeping a game in beta is real common lately. We've been seeing it with satisfactory is a great example, a game we play that, you know, has been in beta forever. Uh, do you guys like this beta business model that's been going around? Uh, I think it's great, honestly. I mean, you can, how do I say it? Like, you you can be a part of developing a game if you're playing it in beta. So, I mean, I think that's a better way for both ends of the spectrum that the developer, you know, is able to let a, an inferior product out there and get some real honest feedback on how it, how the consumers like it and change it to better fit their needs and it works out bugs and stuff that they might have in it. And the consumer yeah. usually gets it either free or cheap and they get to play it for a while until eventually it's, you know, perfected and then, you know, it'll be sold at their full full value. So I I think it's kind of a win-win. Yeah, there there is a level of community built out of that too, of course, like uh, uh where you know, if you feel like you're actually making the changes, Satisfaction is a great example. They just announced railings and I know it sounds so stupid to a lot of people, but they just announced railings for ramps and I'm excited for that. And it's something that was just requested by fans a lot. And it's here. And now that YouTube's videos got thousands and thousands of clicks and likes. Um, yeah. So there is a level of like, hey, I actually get a change in this game. In comparison, we have something like New World, who has been developed behind closed doors for the most part. And we get these weekend where we find out like, oh, wow, they changed this big thing. Um, and then we don't find anything else out until there's another weekend that comes up. Which way do you prefer, Kevin? I know that you're excited for New World and they've been doing that closed beta system. Yeah, I definitely prefer the keep it open in early access or in beta or something because I like specifically with Satisfactory for me, I played it a lot when it first hit early access. Um, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I know I'm going to play this game for hundreds, if not thousands of hours. I'm going to stop now and wait till the full release yeah. and then I'll get a brand new experience out of it. But I know the core gameplay is still going to be what I have already experienced for a couple hundred hours. Um, new World, I bought it based on thinking I was going to like it, but I'm still not 100% sure because I haven't played it as much. Um, it, like John said, it's a win-win, really, I think. Yeah. 
Satisfactory, I think, is probably the best example I have of how the beta system can work. They do listen to us, and now we they have our attention fully, so we're on everything that they say. Um, our Discord lights up every time a new video comes out showing a new feature coming up, and we all tend to hop back on for that new patch. Um, so, you know, that's kind of been our thing, and I know I'm going to be back when railings come out. As silly as that sounds, I have a lot of plans for railings right now. So that, that's always kind of a cool thing. Uh, Kyle, what do you think about the beta system, and has there been a game that you've liked playing throughout its beta? Uh, I haven't really dabbled into betas or testing for that matter. Like the main example I can think of is World of Warcraft. They do the PTR test realms and I've never really wanted to explore that because I'd rather have the expansion come out and it's a fresh release that's all new to me. You know, even though I'd argue the game is still in beta despite the new expansion coming out, <laughs> it's always changing. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like lately they don't get like the full release as intended until the point three patch of the expansion. But, uh, That's true. you know, my fondest memories of a beta actually go way back. I remember doing a lot of multiplayer betas for certain games. One of them was Uncharted 3. And they tied it to a Subway promotion. And I remember I would go to Subway and exclusively get their cups to get codes to use in the beta. And it was a good time. Like, doing those multiplayer early day testing for you know, multiplayer matches. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I've got all the AMPM cups for World of Warcraft, so <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> Indeed. I want to I want to bring up uh, a time that it, that really would have worked better was with No Man's Sky, because when that game came out, everybody said that it should have been early access and they're still coming out with new content for that. It is a totally brand new game. And if they would have waited even 18 months to release that game, I'd, I think it would have been a whole different game right uh, the amount of playing that people have done and uh, the level of dissatisfaction that people had with it when it came out led to less people playing it than there would be if it would have been in open early access for a year or more before coming out yeah and if you look at the feedback and how the developers have been handling that game and the releases it's really going through a long beta process it's just that it claimed it released earlier yeah and if they had if this really had been a beta it. the whole time we'd be praising the game from the get-go absolutely instead of it getting that bashed in the beginning uh any other games that you guys have preferred the beta for jonathan and kyle uh minecraft was a was a big one too i mean we played it in i think alpha and beta for years before the game was finished yeah uh, and that, that was one that i mean it started where there was just a handful of blocks and you walk around and break stuff and then it developed into this huge you know ever-expanding world so that was a good, yeah. a good one for me. Yeah, I'm big on trying games in early access, but I don't really have any big examples outside of Satisfactory that I've stuck with it and have been super excited for it and didn't also get upset by the fact that it's still in early access even this far into it. Yeah. Yeah, there is kind of that, that thing. It's like, oh, it's in early access. It's not going to be the full game. But when you actually, when I look back, yeah, Minecraft, Satisfactory. Um, oh, what's the other one? I was just, it was in my head. I, I do have another one. I played, Arc. I forgot about this years ago. I played Roblox when it was in, in beta and oh, kids wow. are playing that like crazy. Now it was horrible in beta when I played it. <laughs> I couldn't play it. I saw it thinking like, Oh, this is going to be like a knockoff version of Minecraft. Let me check it out. And no, it was, it was just, it was just so, it was too early. Obviously you couldn't do anything. And I was just like, why am I playing this? Let me just get on Minecraft. There's a, yeah. so, there's a dark side to Roblox. That's been coming out across my Twitter timeline about how it's taking advantage of uh, young developers or aspiring developers i 
look into that a little bit. It'll like <laughs> yeah. bring Roblox into a whole new light for you. <laughs> Roblox is interesting because yeah, it's doing that. And there's been a level of me that's like, I wish I was, I wish I would sit down, learn enough about yeah. Roblox creation, just because you just make a map that's decent and you can make some solid cash out of that game. And so there's been, a, I'm sure, a level of that for all of us. That it's kind of like, wait, can I get rich off of Roblox? <laughs> Let me see about this. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot of a lot of people getting taken advantage of. Roblox is an interesting game, actually. That might be a story for another day. Mm-hmm. Another topic uh, for another time. Get that shirt on the Geek Freak store. <laughs> 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 Pushing buttons, guys, uh, every other Wednesday. Let's go ahead and we're going to wrap things up by discussing two new series that came out in the next in the last week. Uh, so let's go ahead and start with Star Trek Lower Decks. Now, Kevin, I know you're a watcher. Anybody else catching up on Lower Decks other than me and Kevin? I need to watch them all. There's just so much Star Trek to watch, and I'm trying to get through the original series still. So I am behind yeah. on Lower Decks. And I, I know Kyle's not a Star Trek guy yet, but this would be a fun one for you to jump in. You wouldn't understand the references, but I've seen the trailers. It looks like it's a fun show. It, yeah, it really is. So let's go ahead and start with the episode, the first episode of season two. Uh, what are your thoughts on this episode? Just initial thoughts right off the bat, Kevin. I, I loved it. It's more Lower Decks. Um, Lower Decks is my favorite show right now outside of All Elite Wrestling, which is weird to bring that up here. But um, <laughs> the Star Trek Lower Decks for sure is just great. Anytime I get a new trailer, I get a new like 30 second clip. I uh, new episode on Thursday. I'm all in all all the way. What's funny is that first season, I watched the first season and I thought, like, oh, this is cute. This is good. And then Lower Deck Season 2 is coming out. So I already watched the first season and liked it more. <laughs> and now I find myself like, I care more about when a Lower Decks comes out than a What If, which I was surprised by that. Uh, that first episode was uh, all about strange energies, which is the, the way that they pull stuff out of TOS is amazing because there's so many people, like myself for the most part, have not watched much of the TOS. But, I, but I'm mid-episode Googling. Like, okay, Strange Energies, I recognize that. Oh, okay, yeah, Trek Freaks talked about this. Uh, blah, 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 blah. All these cool things. There's a lot of fun stuff going on. Um, so we started off this season with Mariner trying to work with her mom on doing these, like, side missions. And it kind of falling apart. Do you kind of want to see the show lean in on that? Like, where Mariner's, like, sanctioned to do side missions? Uh, I mean, no, because she kind of just does it anyway, and it's it's better when she's kind of doing a renegade thing. But I do love how they tied that and like they continued the story. It's not like a typical cartoon where everything just gets back to how it was at the beginning of the episode. They like Boimler's still on the Titan. Uh, Mariner is uh, working with her mom as the captain and everybody knows that the captain is her mom. And so it's it's great. I, I, I love the continuity. Yeah. It, it does a really good job with that. And then I, I really like how the relationships are developing because I think, you know, it's part of being born in the 80s and watching TV all my life. I assumed that, okay, these two are going to couple off. Those two are going to couple off. We'll have relationships, yada, 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 Jim and Pam, yada, yada. Right. But that's not, they're just friends. Everybody's friends. And you could tell it's kind of how it's going to stick for a long time. We might see uh, Mariner and Boimler, but even then it's like, probably not. I, I really like that about the series. It surprises me a bunch. And I kind of thought right off the bat that with season two, we'll see some relationships for them, but that's not the case. They're just good friends the entire time. What are your thoughts on the character development so far? Are you enjoying that? Yeah. So I kind of thought along the same lines as you, I thought like by the end of episode or season one, that uh, uh, Tendi and Rutherford were going to be yeah. together, but uh, they kind of did away with that with uh, Rutherford's cyborg implant, like, 
messing up his brain and now they're just really good friends and they're trying to relearn their friendship and everything i thought that mariner and is it ransom the commander mm-hmm. i thought they were gonna get together honestly i i have i kind of think they did off camera for a bit i think that's why <laughs> there's so much tension in the first episode of season two uh with with her being like the new in charge thing which by the way he's played by jerry o'connell how great is, is that that is awesome <laughs> The cast for this show is is top notch. I love it. <laughs> I also don't think that uh, Mariner is just into dudes. I think that she she yeah. could have a relationship with anybody on the show. And I think if they work it into the story, it would be so great to see it. Even like her and Tendi going on a date or her and the girl that Rutherford has gone on two dates with now. I think I think that would be great uh, just to see where they could go with with Mariner's character. The cast in the show is fantastic all around, too. They, they do such a good job. We have Tawny Nuisance playing uh, Mariner. Uh, she's from uh, Space Force and a couple other things. And then Jack Quaid, you guys know from uh, The Boys. He's like the main guy, the normal dude from The Boys. He's playing Ensign Brad Boimler um, and William Boimler now. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> love Freaking love it. So it's great. Uh, okay, let's talk about So that first episode, if you guys are listeners to Trek Freaks, you'll understand the references right away. Uh, the Strange Energy makes ransom into that god character basically that we saw from um god what episode was it it was where no man has gone before i think he turns into gary mitchell gary mitchell yeah and they yeah. reference gary mitchell a lot like how did kirk kill gary mitchell oh with a boulder <laughs> it was just a boulder <laughs> um all right so let's talk about the uh, second episode which i think is actually more of my favorite the second episode uh we had them meet a collector which is really cool because those are things in star trek we have these collectors and they reference the fact that didn't he try to collect data? It's like everybody tries to collect data. <laughs> That's just a common thing that they do. Um, what did you think of of that second one? It's the episode's called Keishon, His Eyes Open." So I I love any reference to Darmok from TNG. Uh, mm-hmm. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra is a classic. It, it it's it's great. I love that they immediately invert the expectations. They subvert your expectations with uh Keishon, thinking that he's going to speak in metaphor the whole time. It's like, "Oh, sorry. Yeah, I forgot. Uh this translator doesn't work so well. He can speak yeah. Federation or whatever they call the English in that show." It, really good. And the entirety of uh I think the point of Lower Decks is to be self-referential. It's supposed to make fun of Star Trek while appealing to the hardcore Trekkies. And this episode is the epitome of it. It's fantastic. Yeah. And of course, as a collector, we have just like Easter egg upon Easter egg upon Easter egg in the background. It's so much fun looking around. Uh, one thing I do like is, yes, he, he kind of still does uh, talk in metaphor a little bit. That's kind of funny where it's like he'll say something that's just so random. And it's like, yeah, that is a metaphor. You just don't know it's a metaphor. And then it's being translated all wrong. <laughs> and so they're going to have a lot of fun with this character. He's the way they introduced him. He'll be around for a long time, so it'll be fun to see how that goes. Um, I bet they had a blast writing for him. <laughs> um, one of my favorite references that I had at Google, of course, it's one of those things from Google and Midway, is the giant Starfleet skeleton up on top when they're walking into the collector's room. And I'm just like, okay, well, that's clearly a blue Starfleet uniform. Googled it. It's Spock 2. It's a giant Spock from the animated series, uh, TOS. Uh, any, of the, any of those Easter eggs that was a favorite for yourself? Uh, Kalis's sex helmet. <laughs> I love that. Uh, even Tendy's like safety first or something like yeah. that because uh, Klingons are notoriously rough lovers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fact that the that Kalis, the like the warrior god of uh, of Kronos, had a sex helmet that I haven't heard referenced in any other Star Trek ever. And it's like, oh yeah, oh, it's just man. this thing that everybody knows he had this whole time. 
It's great. And then I think his name was Packlin, like the cl- the collector himself that's supposed to be helping him out. That's the one thing he stole was a sex helmet. And yeah. so later on, he puts it on. He's like, this pervert was trying to steal. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much fun. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, on the other side of this thing, outside of the collector stuff, we had the reference to Titan just being a madhouse the entire time, which I really liked because the crew is like, oh, poor Riker, which, by the way, voiced by Jonathan Frakes, actually using the right voices and everything. Um, they're like poor Riker. He used to be on Enterprise D, where it's just like they had they had Coachella or they had like you know a string instrument band. And uh, one of my absolute favorite things is everything Riker does is about jazz, including his warp. But it's like, all right, take a uh, warp factor of five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> and so, um, and yeah, they're talking about like, oh man, it's so boring on Enterprise D. And Boimler's like, no, they went to other dimensions. They fought the Borg. They're not boring. And they're like, yeah, but they also had musicians and five daycare centers. Like, it was definitely a boring <laughs> ship. And so I do like the fact that, like, on Titan, everything's just nuts and crazy. Um, what Do you think Titan's in reference to any particular Star Trek ship that we know from before? For me, uh, the Titan is essentially the Enterprise E from the movies. Um, okay. yeah. it, like, it, it's always action going on. The lighting is similar. The bridge looks the same. The uniforms are the same. Um, I, I thought it was really weird. I want to point out that they had different uniforms on those two ships that I didn't realize that that was a thing that is in Star Trek a lot is that they update the uniforms so often that some ships have older versions of the uniform than other ships. I wasn't something I experienced until playing Star Trek online. I, I just thought that that was a thing that that game did because of customization, but Man, I love everything about the Titan and the dichotomy yeah. between the Cerritos and the Titan in this in this yeah. episode. The Cerritos is just like, yeah, we have to go like clean up shit on this one planet. That's whatever. <laughs> second contact is their big thing. Second contact, yeah, which is where it's like, first contact, all the action, all the cool. Second contact, you got to do the paperwork. You yeah. got to get this signed. Do you guys need more carbon? Okay, whatever, whatever, you know. And then meanwhile, on the Titan, they're like, all right, do a barrel roll. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> awesome. And um, I believe like, it's ah! the, <laughs> the whole time. And the poor thing, he's a pilot, so he has to do the crazy yeah. parts the most on on uh, Titan. Uh, do you believe, I think this the Titan is the one that shows up on the end of Picard, spoiler alert for Picard, season one. But I think it's the one that Riker actually shows up on in Picard. I, I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, so we actually do have a live action version of the Titan in the Picard series. I just love that all of this Star Trek is tying in together and stuff. Um, any final mentions you want to make for these first two episodes of Star Trek Lower Decks before we get into what ifs? I'm just going to say I love Lower Decks. It is my favorite current Star Trek show. I, I love Discovery, yeah. but Lower Decks is so much better. And Picard season two really needs to step it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it will. I think they're going to be introducing some time travel, which would be a lot of fun. But Lower Decks, I've already rewatched both these first episodes again. Um, they're just a blast and we've got to get Jonathan to watch them. And so. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, I'm going to give, let's give him a grade real quick. Let's give a grade for uh, the first two episodes. That first one, I'm going to give a solid B. I enjoyed it. It was good to be back. And then that second one, I got to give it like an A minus. Just the references alone had me Googling the entire time. I had a lot of fun. What what kind of grades are you going to drop on these episodes? I'm going to give the first one an A simply Mm -hmm. because of that uh, rekindling of the friendship between uh, Tendi and Rutherford between the with the force field on either side of them. I thought that whole story was a subplot. We didn't even really talk about it. And it was one of the best parts of the episode. That was a solid A. I'm going to give the 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 second one an A plus for sure. The references alone are 100 percent worth watching it. 
multiple times just to try to catch more references while there was a story going on multiple stories going on with boimler on the titan and the whole cerritos everything on the street it was fantastic it was fantastic the reason i didn't give, go too high on it is because i felt like it was if you were not a star trek fan these episodes would have been just like what are all these things that's going on but as a star trek fan you're losing your mind the entire time exactly uh, that- yeah and, and that you're right the rutherford the whole first episode storyline with Tandy and Rutherford regaining their friendship, there's already, like, Star Trek themselves have already made gifs of that conversation over and over and over again already. Uh, and in just the week that it's been out, so that's been really good. Um, and then, we forgot to mention one of my favorite things, is how they're talking mid, you know, final battle where they're like, oh yeah, that one time Riker made a clone of himself. Oh, it's because this Ion Storm, like, oh shit, wait a minute. And so, <laughs> there are now two Boimlers, and that's how we're going to get Boimler back on the Cerrito, is that the copy of Boimler's like, no, I'll just stick here on Titan. And other Boimler's like, I'll do the good thing. And ended up getting stuck on the, the Cerrito now. So, right. And of course, the copy of, <laughs> of Boimler's like, I think I like the name William as he's talking to Riker. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Riker's like, I agree. <laughs> and they start drinking together like, son of a bitch. <laughs> Best relationship ever. All right. So good. Guys, go check out Star Trek uh, Lower Decks. Once the season's done, we'll do a recap either here or maybe we'll do it on Trek Freaks or whatever. We'll find a place to put it where we'll talk about the season as a whole and, and what our favorite parts are and stuff like that and really dive into it. Uh, but watch that along with us. We're not doing Sloop for it just because we're doing Sloop for what ifs. So it's kind of like, okay, I got to pick one. All right, so let's talk about what ifs. This is Marvel's new show. It's based off of one of my favorite comic book franchises where they just would take a famous story that happened recently in the in Marvel and said, like, well, what if the opposite happened? What if you know, the one I have on my water here, what if Punisher actually killed Spider-Man? What would have happened? Uh, so when we talk about those, we have two of those out as well. The first one was what if Peggy Carter got the uh, Super Soldier Serum and became, you know, Captain America, essentially Captain Carter. Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts on that first episode? You know, I was really shocked at how good it was. I mean, I was reading reviews on it before watching it, and people didn't like that first episode, but I loved it. I thought it was a really cool avenue to explore a female super soldier in the form of Captain Carter. And man, she was badass as hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when the she fight got, scenes were outstanding. Yeah, the action was really good. Like, her with the shield, she works it so much better than Captain America. <laughs> You know, that's that's fair because she does this thing where she grabs onto one side of the shield, I noticed, and she just like hammers people with it real fast. Yeah. Which is something yeah, I don't really see Cap doing much. Yeah. I mean, this is why I love Captain America because he uses a shield as a weapon and you don't see that very often. And then Captain Carter just takes it up to 11. I was like, hell yeah, let's go. <laughs> you know, it, we could probably we could probably adapt that shield as a weapon thing into our D&D game. Something to think about. Indeed. That's something that I would say a, a powerful dwarf would have, <laughs> a side warrior dwarf. Um, yeah, so I, I enjoyed it. I actually didn't think it was very good because of the pacing of the story. Felt like it was all way off, um, but it was still fun to watch. I, I, the one thing I didn't care for the fact that it was like retelling the entire first movie with just tweaks in it. That's when true. I think the yeah. second one was more of a unique story, smaller story. Mm-hmm. So I think it did better there. Uh, Jonathan, what are your thoughts on the first What If episode? I liked it. I haven't seen the second one to compare them, but I thought it was, they, they did a good job of you know making it a, I thought a little bit different story. Uh, and I like have, having Peggy Carter and putting her in that time where 
It's like, well, a woman, you know, you need to be in the kitchen. You can't be a soldier. Like, we wasted all of our serum and stuff like that. And they literally yeah. tell her that. It's such an yeah. asshole thing. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought that was kind of cool, you know, showing that that fight for women equality and stuff like that in this time. And I love that they had, um, well, I can't remember his name, but Captain America. They had him still there as the scrawny little kid and hanging out with her the whole time and then, you know, referencing Bucky and stuff like that. So. It's not like it was just followed her, followed the whole team, but now she was the one with the, the superpower. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Steve Rogers becomes the first Iron Man. That's the Iron right. Giant, really. Iron Giant, <laughs> I was just about to say. He looks like the Iron Giant. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Iron Giant, by the way, voiced by Vin Diesel, for those of you guys who don't know that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I did enjoy that. Uh, that is a good point. I, what do you guys think about the way she gets to the present day? Because instead of being frozen like Steve Rogers was, she was taken into another dimension and fought the Hydra Beast the entire time. Do you think that changes her as a Captain America that we have now? Or Captain, I guess, Carter? I thought that was a cool way to tie in the, the Hydra you know, Beast in that dimension and stuff like that. So I, I like that that kind of makes it full circle on that side of it. Because we never see anything else with you know someone getting frozen and brought back to the future. So it kind of, it's a dead end on that side. But I thought that was a good way to, to do it. I thought it was great. Like... Uh... The whole aspect of her like traveling to another dimension or whatever, and then coming back and you know having the same circumstances of losing her loved one over time, like how Steve Rogers lost Peggy Carter. Like I, I really enjoyed that aspect of the story. Like they still love each other despite being in different positions between the two stories. Yeah, and I kind of think she's going to be even more powerful as a Captain America because she's fought the entire time instead of being frozen. So she's like battle worn version of Captain America as well. And she, she gives off those Rosie the Riveter vibes, which is one of my favorite pieces of art, you know, from that era. Um, and so there's just, she's badass, basically. <laughs> but do you have any thoughts there, Kevin? What'd you think? Yeah, I was going to say that I really enjoyed that they, that they basically, I enjoyed it more for the reason that you said you could have enjoyed it more if they didn't do it. And that was because it was basically Captain America, the first movie, mm-hmm. but with the roles reversed. I love that they kept the... Uh, they kept the flow of it. They kept everything the same. Just it was true to the name. What if it was what if this one thing happened and we see that the characters are still themselves. They're still played the same way as they were in the movie. Everything still happened similarly. Like the characters still reacted to things the way they would have if these roles were different. I, I loved it. I thought it was solid. Yeah. One thing I think I would have liked better is the way they they made Steve Rogers into that Iron Man, Iron Giant kind of thing. and. You know, it wasn't like that before, and you know, I, it, I think it would have been better to keep Iron Man out, and that is developed in the future, and instead have him work as Peggy Carter did, where he's a, the scrawny guy that can sneak around in a crowd, and he's a, you know, a detective, he's a spy, you know, spying on the Hydra and the, you know, all the other plots. So, you know, make him cool a secret to... agent. Yeah, secret agent. That's a good idea, John. Damn, that was a good idea. Really good point too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, let's go ahead and give this thing a grade then for the first episode. Uh, what do you guys, I'm going to give it a B minus. I enjoyed it a lot, but I felt like it was a little rushed. And then, yeah, it was the entire reason telling. I think if they, I don't know how they could have condensed it is the problem, but I think they could have condensed it and it would have been a little better. Uh, what grades are you going to give us? Start with you, Kyle. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you, Frank, like an eight out of 10 or a flat B. I think it was a great introduction to the concept. and. You know, following with the next episode, it's just going to get even better. 
Uh, I'm going to give it a B plus. Uh, it was a great introduction to what the concept of of what if is. And it was an introduction to the watcher, which I think was great and might even play into the Eternals in some way or another. Uh, solid storytelling. It was a little slow, which is why I'm not giving it an A. But other than that, it was perfect. I'm going to go with Kevin on a B plus. I think like we've all pointed out things that could have been tweaked, done a little bit different. But overall, I think it was good, especially for being the first episode. I think it might take a little while for them to feel out their their rhythm and their formula, but I think this one was good too. So B plus. Yeah. Solid grades all around. Let's go ahead and go to the next episode. Uh, Jonathan, you hadn't watched this one, uh, but it is very, very good. And um, I apologize for those who listened to Sloop and, and got my immediate reactions. I was a little too hyped. Uh, <laughs> nah. This I'm going to start with my grade on this one. I gave it an A+. Plus. I absolutely loved this episode. It was a smaller story. It was just a heist. And um, the heist thing was a little cliche, but because of the characters that were involved, I just really enjoyed it. Uh, listening to people, there was one big problem, and that was the Thanos situation. What, what are your thoughts on this, Kevin? How did you like that second episode? I freaking loved it, man. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm not as excited or as pumped about it as I was the second episode of season two of Lower Decks because I'm a bigger Star Trek fan than I am a Marvel fan. But if the, if that was flipped, I think this would have been a solid a plus for me. Like episode two of uh, lower decks was, it was, it was great. Thanos. I, it was a surprise to me and well, I yeah. loved it. I, I freaking loved it. I loved the, all the characters that were, uh, that were so much different beca- because T'Challa was in the place that he was and making his influence known in space rather than just in one p- corner of earth, essentially. Yeah. That his influence is that big and uh, the dedication to Chadwick Boseman at the end of it um, just shows how big he is as an inspiration to us is as big of an inspiration that Black Panther or T'Challa in general is to the galaxy or to the universe in Marvel. What I've learned great. since the recording of the Sloop too is he's in he's accredited for four episodes so he will be coming back. Heck yeah, awesome. that's awesome. Yeah. Um, it was a combination of emotions of excitement and a little bit of like sorrow, just hearing Ted, uh, uh, you know, Chadwick Boseman return as T'Challa. But it made me like so proud that T'Challa's goodness was not something that was just from Wakanda, what was him. And like, he changed the Ravagers. Like the Ravagers are now all Robin Hood. And yeah. <laughs> instead of being assholes, uh, I just loved that all the way. So I thought that was really fun. Man, I gotta tell you, like, this episode just opened my eyes to how incredible of a character T'Challa is. Yeah. And I just want Guardians of the Galaxy 3 to be about him and his version. Yeah. <laughs> if that says I would anything. be so on board with that. Yeah. I don't want to go too much into spoilers, but I just loved every moment of this episode. Like even certain characters that come in later on in the story. And, you know, Peter Quill, I'm kind of curious to see what happens there. But yeah. I don't think we'll ever see. I don't think we will. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with future what if episodes, I'd like to see T'Challa make a comeback. If that's happening. If he's voicing four episodes, that's really good. So the fact that, you know, we'll, we'll have to just we'll have to talk spoilers, guys. So just be aware of that. But the fact that uh, T'Challa is coming back for multiple episodes, there has been very few times that the, the watchers have had to um, get involved that their whole thing is to not get involved which means they have to break that rule, right? If the rule has to be broken. Uh, they have gotten involved in the past. I think that that's what we'll see. First off, they hired Jeffrey Wright to voice the Watcher. Incredible. They're going to use him. Yeah. The cast, let's just talk about that real fast. The cast on this episode, 
they straight up got everybody from the movie. So we have Jeffrey Wright playing the Watcher, Chadwick played uh, Star Lord T'Challa. We have Karen Gillan coming back for Nebula. We had Michael Roker come back for Yondu. We even had John Connie, who played the older version of uh, Black Panther's dad, come back to play Black Panther's dad. Uh, Benicio del Toro played the Collector. Uh, uh, God, I can't ever say his name. Juman Hansu played Korath again. Josh Brolin came back to play Thanos. Hell yeah. Kurt Russell came back to play Ego. Hell yeah. Sean Gunn <laughs> came back to play Craglin. And on and on and on so and on. So incredible. All the movie actors came back for this. I, and I, I've voiced this opinion before. I wonder if they mainly got Chadwick back, maybe Michael Rooker is back as well. And they were thinking like, after the events of what happened to Chadwick Boseman, they're like, let's make this thing special. And had the guys come back and actually voice every line. You know, I, I wonder if that, because budgetary wise, this episode was crazy expensive just from the voice actor uh, point of view. The weird thing about that is that um, I follow Dave Batista on Twitter. They did not ask him to voice Drax in this episode. Really? Yeah. I thought that was really strange. Yeah. That they had Josh Brolin even, but not Dave Batista. Yeah. They even brought back like uh, Michonne, uh, you know, whatever, from Walking Dead and Chris Sylvan from Last of Us to do their parts. Um, I, I kind of think Marvel's starting to try to steer away from Batista a little bit because he's yeah. real vocal on social media. Yeah. And I, I think they're kind of getting scared of that. Hmm. So that might have been why. But um, yeah, just such an outstanding cast on this. And then, of course, let's, let's talk about the Thanos of it because. That is the make or break. A lot of people stopped liking it. Fly Pirate, Jeff, who's in our uh, Discord, had voiced this opinion. Once the Thanos reveal came out that basically Chadwick Boseman, or T'Challa is such a badass that he convinced Thanos that trying to kill half the universe is not a good idea, and instead you should join us and be a Robin Hood with us. (laughs) So Thanos is a good guy in this, and he's just working on his relationship with his daughter Nebula. Uh, That part turned some people off. How do you think they handled that? I loved it. I I think it just... It was the thing that proved how good of a character T'Challa was and that he is and that uh, he can make that big of an influence on that grandiose of a character uh, and left room for the collector to become the big bad in the galaxy. I I freaking loved it, man. Same reason I love Lower Decks. It's just just get rid of your expectations, go into it blind and just let it happen. And just enjoy it for what it is. And it was fantastic. I like that. Get rid of your expectations. That's a great way to put it for how you watch what ifs. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Thanos situation there, Kyle? Uh, I have to, you know, repeat what Kevin said. It was just overall such a great twist. And I thought, you know, Thanos, like you see another side to him. Like he wants to reconnect with his daughter, Nebula, who, by the way, was also incredible in this short like that was such a great side of her to see because you don't see that in the cinematic universe and you know it's more of a human story really and mm-hmm. as opposed to in the movies he's you know the big bad and here he's just trying to reconnect and give more humanity to his story which i really you know like seeing yeah there has been times in the comic books where thanos isn't necessarily you know Thanos. Uh, so it was nice to see one of those moments here. This episode, to me, surpasses some of the movies, even. And so uh, I really think if you guys haven't seen What Ifs yet, you're a little worried because of the reviews from the first one, at least watch the second one. It is so, so good. Um, and of course, yeah, we won't talk too much about the very ending, but it's setting up for 
I believe that there's going to be a good faction. I believe that there's going to be a multi-dimensional Avengers coming out of this. We have we do have one hero shot that shows um, Gamora coming up in a future episode, standing next to like this Black Panther or this I'm sorry Star Lord. Um, so I think we will get a a version of that coming up, and I think we're gonna have an evil version as well. And I do believe that you know ego has something to do with that, and so it'll be really fun to see how that shakes out. Um, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, let's go ahead and give this thing a grade. Uh, just to, well, let's reaffirm our grades. Mine was an A plus. For a this. plus, absolutely. A plus for you and Kevin. I'm gonna give it an A, almost an A plus. If I'm sure, if I didn't just talk about Lower Decks season two, episode two, I would have probably given it an A plus. But I'm still hyped up on that. Um, I do want to say a little bit of extra nod to the fact that Nebula had a pet name for T'Challa and called him Cha Cha. That was great I too. Loved that. I loved the touch. Great, great touch. <laughs> And then another thing that I want to make sure to mention and give a shout out to was the fact that they kept joking around. They're like, okay, that's gen- that's genocide. Like they kept Captain like Captain Genocide. Captain Genocide. Thanos kept trying to pitch, like, no, trust me, it would have been fine because it's all random. And it's like, no, that's genocide. <laughs> you kept trying to but kill it's people. Efficient. <laughs> yeah. Uh, please go watch the second episode of What Ifs. Jonathan, I'm talking to you too. <laughs> I will. Um, all right. So that's it for this this week, guys. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Uh, we have Trek Freaks coming out every Friday. Uh, we had a, you know we had the break and stuff like that. Uh, what is the name of the next Trek Freaks and, and kind of give us a quick rundown of what you guys are discussing on the next one? Uh, the next episode is called uh, Miri. It is uh, kind of a how do you say it? a plague? It's a whole other planet. It's a, a virus situation. So it's a little little close to what we're living through right now. So it's interesting. Oh, interesting. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, holes in the story though. So if you'll you'll hear we we uh, analyze. Some issues with it. Plot holes and headcanon. That's Trek Freaks right there. Yeah. Oh, headcanon galore. I love the headcanon over there. Um, it's a great it's a great combination because Kevin knows like the stance of the community on something like that, while Jonathan's like making it up on the fly and you guys find some sort of middle ground. It's really great. All right. Uh, that's great. And then we have a pushing buttons coming out this Wednesday, so it's two episodes out of this one. Uh, can you guys break down what that pushing buttons is about and who your very special guest is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're talking all about MMOs on the next uh, pushing buttons. Uh, and Frank is a super special guest on that episode, just like he was the one before. Um, yeah. All about MMOs. We talk a lot about Final Fantasy 14, which is also the topic of the last level up. So listen to that one as well. Um, our history with MMOs, the history of MMOs and the the positives and negatives that come with that that uh, genre also our hopes from mmos too yeah and how you could fix them and stuff like that so it was very fun to record that and you guys check that out a lot coming your way from geek free skies check out our website check out our discord and check out our tiktok and check out our patreon all places you can hang out with us and stuff and twitch and twitch oh man we were hopping twitch is now a morning stream guys because that's when the internet's working well uh, but I'm already I'm already in contact with Tesla, and I'm like, hey, can you stop on the robots? Put some internet out here. We might get that happening this this uh, winter. All right, thank you guys for joining us on this super long episode of Geek Freaks. We appreciate it, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Geek Freaks podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Geek Freaks Pod. We're also on Facebook, Instagram. You can email us. We have our Patreon and a store. All those links are in the description. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you guys next week.